0: Welcome to the DEP podcast channel. We sincerely hope you will enjoy this episode. Don't forget to turn on your notification bell and to follow us right here on Spotify for more podcast episodes. Good afternoon, uh, good evening, good morning, wherever you might be joining us today. Thank you so much for coming back to another episode of DDP Podcast. I'm uh, so excited once again to bring you this this episode. Um, this episode comes at a very crucial um, time in South African history. This is a month that is a celebratory month, a commemorating month, but also a month of reflection on uh, of youth and the position of youth in South Africa right now. Um, the history of how our youth has been able to acquire certain freedoms and in certain circumstances, uh, distrust towards the, the system that was fought for us um, in 1976 to begin with. Um, joining me today is uh, Mr. Tabo am uh, Very honored to, to to have you here today. For those of you who do not know who he is, uh, Tabo Senghanga is An activist, academic, analyst, PhD candidate, higher education consultant, and professional. At least that is what his LinkedIn heading will tell you. There's far more attached to that. Um, He is a former and still current uh, thesis for activist, a former uh, University of Pretoria president, a Mandela Road scholar, a former essay U.S. national spokesperson. He has sat on the COVID-19 Higher Education Ministerial Committee in 2021. I know he recently graduated with his master's in political sciences. We had the same graduation day. (laughs) And he is the current deputy director of community outreach at the Department of Communications and Digital Technologies. Um, Tawa, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Um, And, you know, just what have you been up to
1: Uh, Hi Yanga, Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everybody, Uh, of course depending where you might be watching us from. Um, Thank you very much, I'm I'm truly honoured to be invited to form part of this particular podcast, especially as it speaks to something that um, I think is close to my heart, which is young people, Uh, anything to do with young people, uh, to discuss our futures, our current realities, you know, and so it's something that naturally excites me so i'm also excited to form part parcel of this particular conversation hoping we can have you know very honest and you know open conversation in terms of young people uh, i'm also happy that's a young person who's inviting me so i think that just gives it a gist of things um but otherwise myself i'm currently just forming part of the working class now <laughs> um in the country of high youth unemployment i mean that's an honest privilege so i've just been Really post-my graduation, trying to, you know, find balance, you know, get into the workplace, get your feet on the ground, and really get your lives pretty much starting up. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Um, so the, the conversation that we want to be having today, or at least the objective of it, um, is for us to look at this relationship between democratic activism and uh, youth today and its relationship with democratic activism. I think the right to vote, exercise influence, and to be treated equally under the law um, requires a daily commitment from citizens. Um, And in addition to that, social and economic inequalities can fuel um, citizens' frustrations and spur questions about the viability of democracy to begin with. And in many parts of the world right now, there's the conversation from Europe to the Middle East and back here home um, that you know democracy is it's, it's waning, um, and people have got frustrations towards it. But I think here in South Africa, we've got a pretty unique uh, position because uh, of our history and the fact that democratic activism is almost the the, the cornerstone of our constitution, that is what was fought for um, for years, I would even argue since 1652, even more so than with the apartheid uh, system from 1948, when everything was signed into legislation, right up until 1993, there was a fight for the system. There was a fight for democracy. And that fight for democracy uh, was speaking to the fact that this should be the solution to the problem that our people are facing. This is the solution to being feeling out of society, to having a voice. Um, democracy has, has been that. And it has been that in South Africa for, for 30 years, more or less. Um, and so I, I think that the question I first want to ask is, what is democratic activism uh, to begin with? For someone who might not even understand this word activism to begin with.
1: Yo, that's a, a very, very, very working question. In fact, uh, this whole day I've been asking myself, how do we define democratic activism and activism means so many things to so many different people, right? But I think, you know, for me, the whole idea behind democratic activism is being afforded an arena to be able to engage in forms of activism, to be afforded an arena whereby you're, you're not coerced, you're not intimidated. Uh, you are allowed, you have the basic liberties to express yourself in whatever way you feel and choose in order to raise about various, you know, points of interest to yourself and to society at large. Um, democratic activism in the sense of South Africa, like you, you touched on it quite well to say that, look, our country is founded on some form of, on a principle, or on a, on a pillar of activism, right? Um, from as early as, you know, white settler colonialism, the van back days and so forth, we've always had some aspects of resistance, to our politics um, of activism, especially when things are not favorable to the majority of, 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 of the population. And of course, you know, the 90s period has been an interesting um, era because it ushers in things like apartheid, the violence that you know, comes with from the state at that particular point in time. It, changes, it changed rather the way in which citizens engaged with the state, you know? So the form of activism that we've always strived for, uh, there was a lot of repression coming from the state, a lot of violence coming from the state. And so the whole idea for an open space, the whole idea of the principle of democracy, I think comes about from those uh, experiences, those lived realities to say that, look, we need a society in which uh, everyone should be treated equally, regardless of your race, regardless of your gender, your sex, your religion, uh, sexual orientation, and so forth. And so I think to develop democratic activism or the word democratic activism has been developing throughout time, because even post the time where you get democracy in South Africa, like you said, in your 1993, 1994, with your formal elections, uh, one would think that activism would maybe subside in the country now that you've gotten your democracy, right? Uh, whereas quite to the contrary, if anything, we've seen activism go on the rise, you understand? And I think it's pretty much because democracy allows for people to express themselves. So we must confuse the activism in a democratic country uh, widespread protest as something to shine upon, uh, quite to the contrary, that I guess that's what the democratic activism or the platform or the arena is affording you to do, you know, to be able to express yourself uh, quite robustly as young people. But of course, it's beginning to change, you know, democracy, when you think of the word democracy, you tend to think of a very fair system, a very equal system um, for everybody. Whereas, you know, it's still in the South African case, for instance, not much has changed, in like, fact, uh, um, from, the years used to shine upon apartheid years of colonialism, high levels of unemployment, high levels of um, uh, people not in school, you know, crime and so forth, high taxes, petrol going up and down, left, fire right, and center. So basically, you know, this democratic ideal is not yielding that which you thought it was going to yield, which makes activism quite quite interesting because when you start off, you're saying that democracy is waning. And my argument is democracy waning or people, to, you know, other forms of democratic freedoms that need to come into play, right? Because I don't want us to shun or to say democracy is reigning. especially as young people, we tend to, to lose sight. And I might be jumping the gun here, uh, especially when it comes to issues of voting. You know, right to vote as a young person you must never give up that particular right or downplay its significance, because it was truly fought for, for years, for centuries, right? Um, but at the same time, I think what's important is other forms of freedoms, economic freedoms, uh, which make the democratic project questionable if they are not realised. You know, for a young person today, if you don't have money, you don't have a job, your future is not promising. You, why am I voting becomes almost a secondary question. Like, why am I voting? Whereas the two should not be going, should not be mutually exclusive. They should be mutually inclusive. Go and vote while demanding. You know different forms of, of freedoms in this democratic project so I, I guess I think in short for me democratic democratic activism rather encompasses all of these particular aspects to say that within your context and it's important to look at the context <laughs> within your context of democracy within your particular country um, what is a holistic form of a democratic ideal that can bring about better change to your society I think that's what we need to be you know speaking towards or agitating towards not to say that democracy, In and of itself doesn't work. I don't know any other system in the world currently that affords us, you know, basic liberties, basic freedoms to be, you know, basic movement, things we take for granted, really. Um, But to say that what other forms of freedoms are needed in order to supplement or to complement this whole democratic project at large.
0: Sure, I, I really like that, and um, I don't mean to quote one of the most controversial, uh, you know, uh, figures in history, but um, Winston Churchill did say that. Listen, uh, you know, we've seen other forms of governance, and nothing comes as close to democracy. It's it's difficult, but it is what is best for for the people. Um, and I, I'm so glad that you've you've touched on the fact that. The way that democratic activism has transitioned over the years is is very different. Um, the meaning of democratic activism within an apartheid context, particularly for black people, um, would be a bit more different today um, in, in what we uh, you know and how we would be understanding it. And some might argue that there is a bit of a generational gap um, in the understandings, or not even necessarily the understandings, but the Fruitions of the democratic system. So uh, what we mean by this is if you think about it from the, the, the older generation, what they were fighting for was for democracy as an ideology to be enshrined and in place in our constitution, in our legislation, in the little fine prints, right? Um, and then you have now a new younger generation that says, thank you for that, we appreciate it. But those legislations are not working for us right now. Um, And we need to talk about that. And there's two extreme reactions that have been to that, which is some that are saying, screw this democracy. We need something else because it's not giving us fruition. And yet there's others that are saying, just give it a chance. Maybe the language of expression and the intent um, still needs time to build from that, uh, and so I think I just want to ask you, uh, what do you what do you say towards that uh, generational gap and somewhat frustration that is attached to it?
1: Um, I'm on mute. Okay, I think for me, it's a very interesting question. Thank you very much. Uh, the whole idea behind the generational gap, uh, it's interesting. Yeah the generational gap in any given society must happen because you know things can't be the same as they were 30 years ago. There must be, there's a change that they fought for. right? And so we're living this particular change, right? But I guess, and I, and I wanna use this particular controversial word and I guess maybe it sparks conversation to say, for instance, this new, this gap or this generational gap you're referring to by and large is into the new generation for lack of a better way to collectively describe them. You call them born-free, right? Um, or the born free mantra, but if you were to interrogate what does the word born free actually mean, you know, it creates an illusion that all is well and sundry in this democratic order, it creates an illusion that suddenly you are equal, you are born free from any form of oppression, any form of racism and so forth and so forth, whereas all of these things are systematic, right, so the whole idea of born free is misleading, what are you born free from, you understand, yeah, you are born free in the sense of you know you have the right to vote to your political freedoms, but for the many, for the vast majority of young people, you know you're not you're not free economically. You know, uh, if you, if high levels of youth unemployment in this country have reached you know highest as they could ever be, uh, many people can't get into school, bursaries, funding, and so forth. So you're not really free. There are various forms of oppressions that are you know holding various sectors of society uh, behind. And if you look at it, the pattern hasn't changed. Those who are affected by and large will be black people in today's society, will be black people, it will be black women in particular. Uh, you know, when you look at other forms of oppression like patriarchy and so forth, which has entrenched themselves in our society. So it's interesting when, when, when I think about how do we resolve these, you know, it's the continuities and discontinuities of the past. To say, how do we navigate a perfect balance in between? But more importantly, I think, is to consider the different needs that each generation is faced with, right? Um, and and. Maybe to even be somewhat controversial, you know, I always, for instance, I, I, I am a card carrying member of the ANC, right? Uh, and I want to bring the ANC into this particular conversation because it creates a very interesting conversation when we debunk it, right? Um, and I, I somewhat, when I sit with colleagues, you know, over wine conversations sometimes, like, you know, to, to, to some degree, I somewhat put some blame on the ANC, um, in the sense that you know leading to the 1994 project or during the apartheid era at the time you know the, the the most important thing at the time was for black people to be able to feel safe in their own country to be able to move freely in their own country to be able to not carry' don you know just the whole idea that child you can walk in the street it's your country and not be harassed it was a serious thing for, for 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 black people at the time and so you focused by and large on this issue of equality that is rooted in the franchise the vote right so we've achieved this political liberty right that was the first phase of the ANC but it also came across the messaging that if you look at the freedom charter that no the people shall share in the land the banks shall be nationalized electricity to all houses to all cars to all so you created this somewhat American dream for the better commas that come 1994 where Natawa in Kukule to Gepi tomorrow 1994 your life will change dramatically that you'll find yourself waking, sleeping in a township, waking up in the suburb and all is well and fun I think that is the messaging that got encapsulated in society so that we always now then say 27 years into democracy, you still have this picture that no, but where is my house? Where is my car? Where is my job, you understand? But at the same time, I'm saying, what we're failing to understand here is to strike the balance, right? To say, guys, in all honesty, it's only been 27 years of freedom in this country. It sounds like a long time, sure, but 300 years of oppression, even beyond that, is a pretty you know, messed up system that you guys are trying to, to, to undo. It's not going to happen overnight. Perhaps what the problem is in South Africa is that, and, and, and honestly for me, it, it really, it makes me sick to the core, is corruption. Because corruption steals away from the development of a country, corruption steals away from the development of the youth, from the change that you want to see, right? And so South Africa is a serious issue of corruption that the frustrations begin to build up, you know. 27 years later, I don't have electricity. ESCOM keeps doing its load shedding. People are earning 10 billion rand every month. Nothing is changing, money is half So to the young person, you have, there's a frustration building and anger building up because I don't have a job, I don't have a car, I can't go to school. Yet corruption, every day in the news we're hearing, unaccounted for 50 million, 500 million, 1 billion, this and this, those are the issues. And it speaks to what the economy, you know, how do we diversify the economy? How do you create economic liberty, economic freedom for the majority of the country? I think that is the the, the balance between the effort for in the past, the political freedoms, what is needed now, the economic freedoms. And once you strike that balance, you'll be able to, to, to move forward swiftly as society. Uh, so I think for me, it's just to, to have those conversations between the two, intergenerational conversations, especially that, look, I understand why young people today don't want to go and vote. But to an old person, you know, not voting to them brings about, you know, we're like going back to the past are going back to the past. But as to a young person, it's look, and they I don't see what I'm voting for. Nothing is changing. Like, all I see is corruption. And the more educated you're becoming, the more you begin to question the system like I mine what is this why am I doing this why 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 but we need to strike a balance to move forward sure
0: um, I think you've you've touched on a, a number of uh, points that we were supposed to discuss initially um, from the, the, the answer of the frustration of youth feeling marginalized how how can their voices be heard through this whole thing? And it's, it's very clear that the frustration isn't necessarily with the mechanisms of democracy, but it has to do with um, the economic promises that are supposed to come out of the, the system. Um, and also the, the, the fact that there has to be an acknowledgement of that balance. And uh, I would even argue that the reason why that acknowledgement of that balance is not even there is because um, this desire and need for instant gratification, um, which has been created and culminated as a result of you know um, capitalism, if we really look at it in terms of like the broader um, picture and side of things. Um, and so I, I do think that there's a, a push for everything to be now, I wanna see the change right now, I wanna see the fruition of it right now. Um, and it's even more ironic to me that when people are comparing um, this especially more so comes from opposition side of opposition parties in south africa when they're comparing uh, our progress to South Africa in terms of democracy, it's often compared to countries which have had established democracies for hundreds of years, um, particularly, let's say, America, for example. But even within America, even though they've had that system for hundreds of years, um, there's still ginormous economic challenges and inequalities. Um, and I mean, if we really even go into Europe, that's story for like another day and how they've even developed to that and, you know, populist conversations. And if anyone wants to listen to that conversation, please go ahead to our previous um, episode. But I want to ask this next question because we've touched on um, this idea of responsibility, the responsibility to acknowledge a balance, the responsibility to take initiative, the responsibility to go out and vote, use your rights, etc. A bit more of an academic question. Um, and I think it's one that most academics are grappling with right now. Um, Is the responsibility to engage in democracy universal? And in other words, when we deem change necessary, are we obligated to use various democratic tools to make that change happen?
1: Sorry, can you just repeat the question? I want to understand it properly.
0: Is the responsibility to engage in democracy universal? So in other words, when we say that change needs to happen, there's something wrong in society, are we obligated to use various democratic tools to make that change happen? Or is this a moment in history in which we have to consider other tools in order for change to happen? Mm.
1: No, 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 this is a very, I like your questions. (laughs) They're making me think, you know, all the time. Um, Is the responsibility, well, Is is, the question you first asked is, is it a universal responsibility shared, right? And I say, for me, it it depends, you know, various, how we experience South Africa, I've realized younger is different (laughs) for, many people we when you we all wake up to a different south africa sham i don't want to lie to you ah there are people out there who south africa to them is perfect <laughs> it's it's perfect <laughs> there are no issues the system is perfect then there's to the far extreme on the other side other end sorry yeah south africa we cannot live another day under this current order and so it's interesting when you say when you bring the question of universal like Is it a shared responsibility? And I say, it's a shared responsibility how when our experiences of the country differ according to our material um, position at the time, right? Um, But is there a a universal responsibility to ensure that your future is protected? I say yes, right? However, what means are we using to achieve this? Remember the status quo. that the current system as it stands, it benefits the status quo. Right, We found a system that is entrenched. You, you, you learn this in philosophy. When you are born into a country, there's tacit consent, there's a constitution, there's rules, there's laws, there's order. So the moment you try and challenge or change that system, you will feel the full wrath of the state. <laughs> Understand? So for instance, you look at things like this fall, which created a very critical juncture or a, a moment in time to say, do we change the system, do we overhaul the system? But I'm saying the moment you try and change the system, the system will push back aggressively so right? so when you're asking or oh, are they let's see uh sorry you lost me there Am I must say yes so the moment you 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 want to change the system using alternative forms which I always encourage like you must imagine alternative forms because how we think of democracy we're thinking of liberal democracy Western forms of democracy and so forth so in our context these things all make sense we want to change but if the rules that you are saying I must change them with do not work for me. I have to consider alternative forms of engagement. And that is how Fees Must fall. for instance, comes about. Because for years, you have the same conversation. fees are too high for students. The cost of education is too expensive. There are formal routes and formal channels that are supposed to channel these frustrations. A good 15 years or whatever years, that was from 1994 to 2015, 20 years or so. You are channeling the same conversation through the same systems, the same democratic pro- policies, processes, and nothing is changing, nothing is yielding. Hence, alternative forms of engagement came about. The whole idea of students' fees must fall, filling the streets and so forth, to push the state towards a particular direction. It didn't really change the state and how democracy functions in this country, but it did push it. That those forms of alternative forms of engagement did, you know, create that necessary. Okay. Guys, if we don't behave now, so sure, kind of vibe. So I think in this context, um, the same thing happens. I don't know if maybe we're fed up of the system, if we can even change the system. I mean, the state has been in place for how many, <laughs> how many centuries of the the state as we understand it today. And if you're saying you're tired of democracy and all of these things, you are saying you want to change the idea of the state. I don't think we're at that level as a country. Yes, we are frustrated and so forth, but our frustrations have less have less considered changing form of the, the state that we're living in and creating a whole, I don't think we're there yet. Um, I just think the biggest frustration for young people right now um, across the, not just South Africa, across the world has to do with the issue of the economy, it has to do with how do we diversify the economy? How do young people find themselves engaged in the economy? Uh, I don't think we're considering alternative forms of governing society that need to be looked into. I mean, there are a few sectors we might, you know, spark conversation, but I don't think it's a widely shared uh, passion or view or consideration. I don't think so. Um, but I do know for a fact that one thing for sure is that the current forms of engagement, current channels that you are ushering, young people are no longer interested. They're no longer interested because they've been, they've been, and nothing is changing. So really we need some serious shift. I don't know, we've been having talk shows for years in this country. We have policy, this commission, that policy, this commission, that I personally am tired <laughs> of any country that talks, uh, country of speeches, you know, I'm fully much aware of that. But where, where is the change going to come from? Uh, one thing I also wanted to touch on, and I think it's interesting maybe, is also we're, we're heading into very tricky terrains as a country, right? You know, the more young people are frustrated with the ruling party, it's beginning to lose elections. And I say from an academic standpoint, we're entering a very interesting terrain because I don't think South Africans have engaged themselves with the question of, Coalition governments, right? We've always just have this obsession of unseating the ANC, unseating the ANC, unseating the ANC. But no one considers what unseating the ANC then introduces into the country: coalition politics and the instabilities that come with that. You know, we are seeing it in Johannesburg. We are seeing it in other other um, metros where you have coalition governments, where the situation just gets even worse. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know as a country where we are heading, but I do. I do know we need a lot of civic engagement. Uh, especially on on our, our political systems and our democratic system and how it operates and how it is changing. Uh, I think young people need to be immersed in that particular conversation in order in order to bring about this change properly that we are envisioning. I don't know. My answer is all over, but I hope you get a sense of what I'm trying to say.
0: No, no, I definitely have a great sense of it. And I think you dropped uh, two bombs in that answer, which could be a podcast topic on its own. The first is um, the fact that this template of democracy that we have is heavily influenced by the West, um, by the the writings of someone like Francis Fukuyama who wrote um, his classic, The End of History, where he basically interjected this idea that this is where it ends, with liberal democracy and capitalism because the Berlin Wall has fallen and the West has won. So therefore, the rest of the world, you have to to realize this is the reality of it. Um, Prominent ideas like that have influenced um, political systems so much that it affects people on the ground level. Um, And I think that then fosters like this conversation that is endless about then what does decolonization look like of uh, democracy, decolonial thoughts regarding that. Is there such a thing of uh, decolonial democracy? Um, And the the second uh, point that you had mentioned is essentially this uh, idea of the platforms that exist have frustrated people to no end. Um, And that is what has caused the dissatisfaction, but also that sub one of, um, fine, we remove what we've been fighting for for such a long time, what else are we supposed to expect? engagement in coalition politics is very complex and very intense. Um, And if anything that um, history has proven from like an academic standpoint, coalition politics usually ends up uh, birthing authoritarianism. But that's like kind of like a conversation for like another day. Um, And it would be very interesting to to, to see if whether or not maybe that is the path that South Africa uh, wants to take, right? From coalition politics, the next thing we step into is authoritarianism. Um, but I might be being very dramatic right now, ladies and gentlemen. Don't take my word for it. Okay. Um, but um, you know, top when attracting citizens to participate in, in the democratic process, because I think that has been at the heart of this conversation is the need to participate in the democratic process, um, where you go and vote, but also have your voice be heard through protests you know, say what your dissatisfaction is with the system. Um, How can we ensure that our approaches are inclusive and appeal to the most marginalized in our communities, Um, you know, such as children, youth, trans, gender diverse, and immigrants? Um, I know this is the ultimate existential uh, question that a lot of people are dealing with right now, but um, how can we make the system appealing again, um, for people to trust in it again, um, for them to go participate essentially. you muted there. <laughs>
1: Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I was saying, I think for me, you know, in short, I think honestly we need to enter into some serious form of uh, moral regeneration uh, in society, especially one that speaks to a culture of love, you know, a revolution of love, you know. Uh, there's an activist whom I admire so much, Tlangi uh, Mokhali, uh, who always is a woman who always says that you can't lead them if you don't love them, right? And I think the essence behind that is that I always make this joke that like, I, wish, I wish I was a normal student back in my past days. I wish I was a normal student. And by that, I meant that person was just unbothered by, by anything. <laughs> like, there are people on campus you there's a protest, unbothered. She is unbothered. Gender-based violence, unbothered. Life is just so nice for that person. And I just wish I was a normal student. Unfortunately for, for the likes of myself and other uh, activists out there, you know, you are moved. <laughs> by moments of injustice. You are moved when a student is sleeping in a library, something touches you. You are moved when there's a gender-based violence case or somebody's being excluded. Those things affect you somehow. And if we can all engage in that kind of spirit of, you know, wound of some sort, you know, to love the next person. And I think, and I blame capitalism because it's given us this whole individualistic mindset that something is not a problem. Uh, that something If something is not a problem it doesn't affect me personally, therefore it's not a problem. And I think that's the most, you know, disingenuous form of, I don't know how to even put it, put it, self-delusion, like honestly, like it's a, it's, it's a privileged position that many people find themselves in to think something is not a problem because it doesn't affect them personally. And I'm saying that we need to be more conscious as people. We need to introduce, you know, a lot of, yeah, our, our curriculum needs a lot of regeneration to say, how do we morally regenerate society to care about the next person? The moment you care about the next person, You'll be able to, you know, to, to, to develop various forms of, I guess, reforms of uh, trust in the system. You know, holding people accountable, right? You people accountable. You are just unbothered. <laughs> you are unbothered, and I think that for me bothers me. You know, no, I get. I'm not. I'm politics uh, I'm. I'm apolitical. That in and of itself is a political position. You know, so I'm saying you need to bother yourself with the next person. I think only then can really speak about meaningful change. Because so far, it's just, you You only see it as an issue that affects some, a few. an issue that affects a minority, ah, it's just those ones again, ah, Black people, ah, LGBT people, ah, this, ah, that. But if it bothers you, if you get to a point whereby you see it as wrong for its principle, and you want to engage further on that, I think we'll be able to, to move differently as society. Um, yeah, but I guess it's not something, it's more idealistic. It's not something that is going to happen overnight, or I don't know if it's ever going to happen at all. But I'm saying if there's one thing i really want to stress and to echo is the principle of loving one another, loving the next person. Um, and only then will you be able to act in that best interest as well.
0: Right. So I think we can end the conversation right there. I think you concluded it so beautifully. The moral regeneration is the solution to all. Um, If anything, you took away from this conversation. Um, But it's much more nuanced than that. Please don't go out and say the only thing we spoke about here was moral regeneration. (laughs) Uh, Tabo, thank you so much for for, for joining us. Um, This was a really wonderful conversation. Um, We look forward to having more conversations like this with you and um, having you in our DDP network. Um, More conversations like this are going to continue, ladies and gentlemen. We have our political summit coming up on the 14th of July. And we delve into this democracy thing even deeper um, at that event. Um, all details regarding that will be made available on our social media pages. Uh, but until then, Taba, thank you so much um, for joining in. Really do appreciate it. And uh, thank you to our listeners for joining in today. Uh, really do appreciate it. We appreciate your support wherever you might be. Um, and maybe continue upholding our democracy and its tenets. Well, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out our social media pages at ddp underscore democracy to engage with more of our content. Or you can head on over to our website at ddp.org.za to keep up with any events that we might have planned for you. Thank you once again for joining us.